Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Please go ahead and be seated as we're not going to read God's Word yet. Um, I totally forgot to say that to Isaiah, so that's on me this morning, but... I like to throw curveballs at Isaiah sometimes, see how he picks it up. Um, hey, this is Isaiah's uh, first week uh, leading as a married man, and so uh, very excited to have him back, and so it's only right that we just, you know, mess things up for him, so he just has more things to worry about. Um, good morning. I am so glad to be here with you this morning uh, for more reasons than one. One of them is I didn't know if I'd get to be here this morning. Um, because we were stuck, um, in, a few of us were stuck in an airport um, for several hours over this weekend, um, just wondering when we'd get back home, um, and, and very, very thankful just to be here with you this morning. And so if I fall over asleep in the middle of the sermon, just know I'm just prepping for the rest of it. Um, just bear with me in it, and, uh, and we'll move on when I get up. So just hang on, um, and we'll get there. I'm just kidding. I'm not actually going to fall asleep. I think some of y'all thought I was serious with that. Um, we, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6 this morning, so if you want to open up your Bibles, turn on your phones, whatever you need to do, let's, uh, let's get in the Word. Romans chapter 6, if you've got one of the seats, uh, one of the seats, one of the Bibles in the seats in front of you, um, that's going to start on page 942, um, 942. I was here last week um, when Jordan Moore um, spoke from Romans 3, when he preached on Romans 3, um, and how he talked about the great exchange the, the goodness of God to us, the goodness of Jesus, and how his life was shed in place of ours, giving us life where we deserved death. Um, so, and in praying about where we should go um, this week, um, I hit all over the place just thinking where we need to go, praying about it, um, and just ironically landed back, right back in Romans. Um, was not planning on that, but, but I've just been swimming in Romans all week long, um, trying to understand um, what Romans 6 would have to say to, to me personally, um, because I need this truth in my life. I need to know this. I need to know these things. Um, but I also need to believe these things, um, because my belief affects what I do. Not just believing for salvation's sake, but believing how I work and how I act. We were at a conference this week. Um, some of our pastors, Nathan and I, and Jordan, I'm sorry, Jordan wasn't able to go, uh, just talked about Jordan. Nathan, Rick, Kevin, and myself were able to go to Richmond, Virginia for a pastor's conference. And the, the idea of the whole pastor's conference, um, not even thinking about this when we're going to be landing in, in chapter six, was uh, the pastor's orthopraxy. Um, if you don't know what orthopraxy is, you have orthodoxy, what you believe, orth- orthopraxy, what you do. Um, and so what we believe interacts with what we do. It actually causes us to do things. And so what we want to look at here in Romans 6 this morning, I believe there's a lot that we could look at. We're not going to spend just every waking moment on every single little point because, honestly, I still got a lot to figure out in there. Um, But there's three things that I see jump off the page at us that I want us to see this morning and how we are to live out what we are commanded to do and how we are to live out what we actually believe in light of what we believe. And so um, if you 
um, you can remain seated. This is a little bit longer chapter, but get, your, get the word open and let's read Romans chapter six together. We're gonna read it all the way through. Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I am. I am. Okay, let's do this. Romans chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For I've been united, for, for if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make your body, sorry, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But that fruit you were getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed, sorry, from, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, thank you so much for how you have given the words to Paul to the Roman church, but for our sake as well. So Father, as we, as we dive in here, Father, would you not only let us see with our eyes the truth that we behold, 
But would you help us believe it, Father? And would you help us leave here taking it out and putting it into our lives and, and applying it and obeying and giving everything to you in it? So, Father, help us see clearly and take it out and do faithfully. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right. That's a lot. Yeah? That's a lot of stuff there, and my mouth is dry just from reading it. But it doesn't leave me dry when I think about the application of it, right? It's rich. There's so much here for us. Three things I want to point out in here, though, and I'll go ahead and give you all three. One is that we are united with Christ. We're also alive to God in Christ, and that we are being transformed into the image of Christ. United with Christ. We are united with Christ. Um, Again, this is some of what Jordan preached last week, but let's just, man, it's so good. We gotta hit on it again to understand where we're going in the text here and what Paul has to say to us in regards to what we are to do. We have been crucified and have died with Christ, okay? We've been buried with Christ, and we have also been resurrected with Christ. This is the truth we need to land on. Christ died to sin, defeating death, and we now have new life in him, right? Yeah? Agreed? Yes? That's what we heard. This is what Jordan preached. This is truth. Romans 3. It's the great exchange. Christ died for my sins, and in return, I receive eternal life. So we are united with him in this. But why is it so important? Why is this concept of being united with Christ so important for us? It's because this has implications for eternity. The future to come has great implications for that, right? We know where our future sets. We know where we're going. But it also has implications for today. Not just for the future, but for today. Being united with Christ And this means that, of course, you are seen as just before God because Jesus came to be the just and the justifier. But in unity with Christ has further implications beyond where you and I go when we die. And and let me try to explain it a little bit. Look look with me. Um, We're going to jump over to verse 10 real quick. I love this. For the death he died to sin, he died to sin. How many times? How many times? One time. time. Once. He died once and for who? For when? Sorry, this is a when statement. For all. all. He died once for all. Here's what that's saying. He will never die again. He will never die again. And that's important for us, that death has no dominion over Jesus, that he conquered over it, defeated it. It has no dominion over him. It has no rule over him. It has no authority over him. Nothing is owed to death because he defeated death once and for all. There is no rule that death has for him. That's for Jesus because of what he did. Now for us, now let's think about us for a second. Our ultimate end, because sin rules in our lives, we will not see life after death. Left to our own wages is death, right? 
The wages of sin is death. We are sinners. The wages of sin is death. We see that at the conclusion of this chapter, from 623. The wages of sin is death. And for us, dead is dead, right? Dead's dead. No do-over, no getting up, we're done. Now, I'm not trying to be like trite or, or unsympathetic. Un- un- uh, is that right, Rachel? Is that the right term? Un- unsympathetic? Insympathetic? In- in- unsympathetic? I'm not trying to be that at all. But this is our reality. This is the truth, right? Left to our own sin, there is no life after death. Death is done. Donezo. Finished. That's just the truth, if not for Christ. If not for Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he says it like this. He says, but God, that's a great statement, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Together with Christ we live. This is our unity with Christ. And for us who have put our faith in the person and work of of Christ, in his death, in defeat of sin, rising from the dead and of his own power, we are united with him. We are united with him in his death and his coming back to life. So while we may feel the sting of death here on earth, because it's not a natural thing, death is not what God intended for us in the beginning. While we feel that sting, we have a hope beyond the grave because we are united with who? Christ. We are his. Now, this isn't, this isn't just some kind of club that Jesus uh, has, has asked us to join, this unity club, right? It's not that Jesus looks at, you know, looks at us and says, like, hey, I know that guy down there. Yeah, I know. I know Chris. I know, I know Greg. I know Marissa. I know Chad. I know Ted. They're with me. Yeah, they can come into my kingdom, you know? I, I know them. That's, it's not just some club. It's not some type of uh, just belonging that's, that's loose and in, in in acquaintance, this, this picture of the word unity, I love this. Look, look at here. This picture of the word unity actually is communicating something um, that, that I don't know a lot about, but some of you might know about. It's talking, it, it actually is talking about two things being grafted together, like a plant being grafted together for something that didn't belong with this one is now being brought into and grafted into it so that it's actually becoming a part of it. No longer separated, no longer just acquaintances, no longer, it's not, it's not you know, the fern sitting next to the pine tree looking at him and saying like, yeah, we're both trees. I know, no, 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 this is the fern and the pine tree. I don't even know if you can graft those together. I have no idea. I'm not a gardener at all. But it's like those two coming together, being grafted into one, making a new creature, making a new plant. So that unity is not just an acquaintance anymore. It's actually being a part of Christ. You've been grafted into Christ in his death, but also in his resurrection. That's pretty spectacular, right? Because Jesus looks at us 
He doesn't say we've just met before. Rather, he looks at us and he says to his father, this one, this one, they're not just with me, they're a part of me. They're a part of me. That's humbling to me. That's humbling that Jesus would not only forgive me, that he would not only forgive us who have come to faith in him, which is humbling in itself and, and leaves me in awe, right? That he would forgive me. But the overwhelming grace given to us that would say, you're mine and you're a part of me now, that's something humbling. It's spectacular. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's awesome. We use the word awesome probably too loosely. I think this is awesome. Leaves us in awe that we are now belonging to intimately with Christ. We are his. Can I tell you something else it does for me? This, this, man, this gives me such comfort and peace knowing that I belong to Christ. Amen? It gives, me, it gives me such comfort and peace because I am safe and secure in him. Because I am united in his death and resurrection, I am actually kept by him. Because death has no dominion over him, then my life doesn't end at the grave either. My life doesn't end now. And again, by, by grace alone, right? By grace alone. So we are united with Christ in his death, but also in his resurrection. So let's go a layer deeper here, okay? Christ has died and Christ has risen. We believe that, put our faith in that. Therefore, this means, therefore, that he is living. And if we are united with him in his death, we are also united with him in his life. Because of grace, we are alive to God in Christ. Let's, let's look back at the text here. Let's start in verse 11. You ready? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let sin, therefore, reign in your... Let not sin... We need, to, we need to hit that part. That's the good part. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make, your, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Here's where some of the rubber meets the road for us, okay? If we are alive to God in Christ, then we are to act differently. We are to act differently, to do good and righteous things. This is what we are called to do here. This is a good, good thing. There's action here of presenting our members to God. This isn't just a, a church member. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about personally. He's talking about you. He's calling you to present your members, this mortal body. Present it to God. No longer presenting our members to sin, as instruments of unrighteousness, rather presenting our members to God as instruments of righteousness. There's a shift here. Do you feel it? Do you see it? Once you were dead in your sins, presenting yourself to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but now that you are alive with God, you are now presenting yourself to God in Christ 
for instruments of good works, for instruments of righteousness. So let's talk about this a little bit. Um, while we were in the airport this past week, man, it feels like I was in the airport for a week, uh, to be really honest with you, with some delayed flights and stuff. Um, we were sitting down just chatting at one of, one of these terminals, uh, one of these concourses, uh, and decided to grab a cup of coffee. Uh, so we sit down and grab a cup of coffee, and uh, right in front of us, you know how some airports are, there's restaurants like right where you're sitting. Um, so right in front of us, there's a little coffee shop, a little bitty coffee shop, one person working at it, one person. And this girl, I, I don't know what this girl had experienced all day, but she was not having it with anybody. In fact, if you walked up to the stand while we were sitting there, when we walked up, she said, I only got hot coffee, cold coffee, and whatever you can grab. There's an espresso machine, there's toaster ovens, there's smoothie makers. <laughs> All I got hot coffee and cold coffee. And you can get whatever else you want yourself. I'm tired. We said, okay, we'll get some hot coffee then. <laughs> uh, got a cup of hot coffee, sat down right there in front of, of, front of her stand. And person after person would come up. And eventually, she just left. She walked in the back room and said, I'm going on my 30-minute break. She's the only person working there. And they're open. Um, we were just amazed sitting there watching this girl. And this line would gather up, and we'd just sit back and watch. And they'd peek around in the back room, and she'd come out and say, I'm on my break. I'll be back in a little bit. The whole line would leave. The whole line would start. I'm on my break. I'll be back in a little while. We were there long enough. We got, we got to see when she stomped out of her break. Came back. Starts work again. Um, and and, and begins to, to serve people again. But still, I got hot coffee. I got cold coffee. All the while, she's on an earbud, talking on the phone with friends. And you just see this, this person who... I don't know what she's been through. I'm not knocking her at all, but she was not into this. In fact, she closed up early that night. We watched her. She was not into this. The problem with this employee's work performance was the fact that she was given a job to do, a job that she clearly did not want to do. But nonetheless, that job was not a part of who she was. That job was just a paycheck. She was simply working for a paycheck. So there's no real motivation to do much, especially when you don't have a boss there looking for you, any kind of superintendent. There's not a whole lot of motivation to do the good things that you're supposed to do. She had all sorts of stuff. Watched the girl walk up. Can I get a bagel? Yeah, I can't toast it, though. Why not? I don't like using that toaster oven. She had all the instruments she needed to do the work that she was required to do, right? But she wasn't in for it, but just the paycheck. And there's some lessons you get from good work ethic. That's not really where we're going here, though. It's the fact that she had no skin in the game here. This is not who she was. Now, all you know, I love coffee, right? If you don't know, I'm going to tell you I love coffee. I love making coffee. I love the art of coffee. I love going to coffee shops and seeing how they work, how they do it. If I were to open up anything on my own, it would be a coffee shop. But that coffee shop is still not a part of who I am. I'd put my blood, sweat, and tears into that coffee shop. But it's still not a part of who I am. 
Here's the difference for us right now in Christ. We have been given a clear command to do righteous things, to do good works, yes? We see that? To present everything to God as his servants, ready to do good works, but it's not just a job for us. It's not just a paycheck. It's not just an income. It's the proper response for us. For when we realize what Christ has done for us. It's the proper response for us when we realize what Christ has done for us. Come back, look over here at 11 and 12. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, what? Can you read it? Let not sin, therefore. Don't miss the therefore here. We are dead to sin, alive to God in Christ, the truth that we believe. Therefore, no longer submit to sin and let it reign in your life. Because of who you are now in Christ, because of this, we present every part of ourselves to him. Hey, listen, you don't even have to worry about good works of righteousness getting you a good paycheck. You don't have to worry about that, right? Our motives for doing good works flow out of a gift we have already received. The therefore. What we do is an overflow of what Christ has done for us. It's in response to this. It's who we are. It's what we naturally do. Presenting yourself to God for good works in order to receive something it's not in order to receive something, but in response to receiving what you could not earn yourself. That's good, man. That's good. We could not receive this, but what's given to us has been freely received. And because we have freely received this, because it's freely given, we now respond to that. Jump, jump to verse 17. Read this real quick with me. But thanks be to God... He's talking about this, this becoming alive to Christ or alive to God in Christ. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. I've not become obedient with my hands to this. I don't keep it up with my hands. I've believed it. Therefore, it's an overflow of what I've believed. I'm confident in this. Therefore, it's an overflow of what I am confident in. It's a change in me. Therefore, it's an overflow of what Christ has done in me. Not a works that we have to keep up for salvation, a works flowing out of our justification. So, let's take it a layer deeper. Point number three, we are transformed into the image of Christ. Better yet, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18. If you want to turn there, it's great. I'm going to read it real quick because I'm already there. It's called a bookmark. Second Corinthians 3.18 says this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Um, I'd say that's a pretty good definition for what Paul says here in sanctification. Sanctification is the process of constantly being transformed more into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Catch that. The process of constantly being transformed more into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm so thankful for, for the language here that Paul uses, that God gave Paul to use uh, uh, because of this. Listen, listen. He says stuff like this. He says, fruit leads to, if we're taking this a layer deeper, so we are alive to God in Christ, doing works of righteousness because we've presented everything of who we are to him, not just, not just doing it, but presenting it to him, saying, God, this is whatever you have for me, anything you want from me, take it, I'll do it. If we're looking at that, man, can I tell you, it's easy for that to become my motive or my reasoning for becoming better. That if I just do more good, I will become more good because of what I've done, right? I, I slide so easily into that compartment. If I just do better, I'll become better. And there's, there, there is some truth to doing good. What we do will produce good things. But what Christ is saying here, what, what Paul is saying here, is that when we do the things that we are called to do, when we present ourselves to God and say, God, not my will, but your will, when I present every member of who I am as instruments of righteousness to him, so therefore I am not my own anymore, I am his, I'm grafted in. When I do that, Paul says, this leads to sanctification. He says further on in here, he says, this leads lost my place. This leads to sanctification, and I'm, I'm lost. I'm sorry, you guys. But now, this is verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification. That's important, I think. That's important. We do not do good works for, us, for our salvation, for our justification, and we also do not do good works for sanctification, Yes, we present our bodies to God as instruments of mercy, as instruments of grace, as instruments of righteousness. But transformation into the image of Christ's likeness is not something that we can do alone. Here's what I mean by that. Paul says that the outcome of doing these things, of presenting ourselves daily to God as his instruments of grace and righteousness, the fruit of that will be sanctification. I, I'm not a farmer, Again, I'm not a gardener. I don't know where I'm getting all these, these gardening references this morning. Um, some of you are. Uh, but I know that you can do all the good work to a tree. You can do all the good work to a crop. But there is still dependence. Any good farmer, I believe, knows that they are very much dependent on the Lord to give them the fruit of what they are working for, right? Of what they're working toward. So while we look to Christ and say, I'm in you, God, I am presented before you, ready to do whatever you will for me. I also trust that you are going to lead me and give the good fruit to make me more into the image of Christ. 
that that graft becomes more and more and more invisible. You don't see the graft anymore, but all you see is Christ. The unity with Christ is so much deeper than just right here. The unity with Christ becomes looking like this to where all you see is this. It's no more me and Christ. It's Christ alone because I'm with him. I'm a part of him. And whenever I present my, my members, myself, as instruments to, to God for his righteousness, he says, when you do these things, you are being humbled and being made more into the image of Christ, which is our best good. The best thing that we could ever become is in the image of Christ's son, sorry, of God's son, Christ. This is the, the, the greatest point of glorification we could ever have. In fact, when we get to heaven, we'll be given new bodies out of this, made more like Christ in new bodies. And that's what we look forward to. But until that day, we grow in him. And so sanctification, being made more into the image of, of Christ is definitely a process because sanctification for me isn't salvation, eternity, and then I'm like this. Does that look like that for you most of the time? What sanctification most of the time looks like for me is this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, trials, tribulation, Ooh. faith in God, oh yeah, okay, come back up, okay, I see where you're at, God, I see where you're at, hey, bad things happen, disbelief, mm. faith in Christ, <laughs> faith in Christ, faith in Christ. The more you become faithful to Christ, the more that we present ourselves to him, the closer we become to the image of Christ until that day. We don't reach it here but we become more like him. Trusting in him. Faith in him. Not faith for salvation, but faith in the hope that will come. Amen? So what does this fruit look like? The work he does in us builds up, I believe, things like this. You ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? This is the work of the Spirit in us. Does things like this. Presenting our bodies to, to God for righteousness will share the fruit of becoming more like Christ in his character. Having a peace that surpasses all understanding in the middle of everything that's going bad in Christ, a boldness to preach the gospel. It gives us a boldness. It gives us a deeper assurance in Christ. The more we become like Christ, the more our assurance is set firm in Christ. It gives us a greater humility in the light of the grace that we've received from Christ. And it gives us full confidence in what's to come. This is part of sanctification. This is part of becoming more like Christ, is receiving the things that Christ is, doing the good works, and doing the good works that he has commanded us to do. He is doing a good work in us. 
that he will complete until that day. But until then, we are trusting and growing, and trusting and growing, and doing good works and growing, not for our own good, but for his glory. And since we are alive in Christ, and since we are united with him, and since we are his grafted in, he is faithful to do that work. Not dead to sin, but alive in Christ. Therefore, we do the things that he has called us to do, presenting every part of who we are to him. And, and as I'm searching just to, just, to, just to find out even what that looks like among you, I, I, I think all we can do is trust Christ that he will do it. Because I've searched for, hey, what is this? What, what, what are the intricacies of this? What are, the, what, are, what are the outworkings of this? And I think all it is is just faithfulness to Christ. <clears throat> faithfulness to him. Not a three-step plan, but faithfulness, saying all I have is Christ. So are you trusting that? Are we trusting that, church? A lot of this is done in community. A lot of this is done within the body that we build one another up, pointing one another to Christ. Hey, 1 Corinthians, everything that you do, be done in the love. Is that 1 Corinthians? Yeah, 1 Corinthians. In Galatians, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it's to a church, to body believers. A lot of this stuff in becoming more like Christ is done amongst one another because Christ has given us one another to point one another back to Christ in everything. Christ is above all, and we point each one of us back to him. So some of it may just be admonishing one another, building one another up in Christ. Some of it's just in your personal study with him. Some of it's just giving up what is not of him. What is it that you need to do to say, God, everything I have is yours? Everything I have is yours. I leave nothing but give it all to you. What is it? Just stand with open arms saying, this is what I have, God. It's yours and yours alone. So we are alive to Christ in that united with him and now we walk alive in him. Ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And Father, whatever I've said this morning, I hope that um, it does not pull away from the truth of your word. I hope that what is seen and what is, God, what sticks in our hearts what sticks in our minds is your word alone. And Father, I pray that you would do the good work in us. I pray that we would obey from the heart and from what we believe, knowing that you give the growth in that. Father, can we as a people just, just be open to whatever you have to us? Saying with my mind, my heart, my hands, my feet, God, this is yours. The natural response of this is Christ alone. And so we present everything to you, Father, knowing that you give exactly what we need to do the work. We trust in it, and we, uh, we submit to you, Father. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.